We are live. Welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. This is the third webinar of our April 2015 series titled Connected Learning in the Classroom, Conversations from the Field. Um, we talked with a third grade classroom um, in Canada. We talked with a high school classroom in Noblesville, Indiana. And today we're going to talk with a very interesting class of students in San Luis Obispo, California. I'm Howard Rheingold. I've done a number of these. You can read a lot of my interviews at dmlcentral.net and I'll be our host today. Uh, throughout the series on Connected Learning TV, we're chatting with a variety of educators who are using Connected Learning in the classroom. We're talking with them directly from their classroom to see what that looks like on the ground. And we're mostly talking with students. Yeah. So if you're watching this, please take a moment to share it with your networks. Today we'll be talking with David Preston, PhD, an English teacher at Rigetti High in Santa Maria, California, and a pioneer of open source learning. And we're going to be talking uh, mostly with his students. In addition to his role as, role as a high school teacher, David is also an author and management consultant whose work explores issues involved in learning, community leadership, and organizational dynamics. He's taught at every level of public education, from preschool programs in inner city schools to advanced graduate seminars at research universities. Before we dive into our talk, let's go over a couple of quick details. To those watching live right now, we welcome your comments and questions, either via Twitter, the Twitter hashtag ConnectedLearning, or the Q&A feature that you should see within the video player. We'll do our best to address your questions here in the Google Hangout. So before I begin, um, David, do you want to start off with your introduction and, and your students' introductions? And, and then um, take it away. As always, the students are in charge. Absolutely, Howard. I consider myself yeah. one of them. And First of all, when we talk with a person like Howard Rheingold, it's important for me to make sure that the students know who we're talking to. Uh, because a lot of us come to an understanding of the Internet through commerce, uh, through social media. And I think that we're at a point where a lot of us, and, and this is in the water for connected learning audiences, but for a lot of public school students and a lot of people in our community, we still see the Internet and social media as tools or toys. And I don't think we've come to really understand that this is a belief system about how we communicate. A lot of the public spaces that you and I had when we were in high school and, and junior high school don't exist anymore. And so a lot of the communication that happens between colleagues at high school now happens in online spaces that aren't very well understood yet. So we're at this strange point where all we really know for sure is that the old ways of doing things don't really serve us as well as they might and we haven't really carved out the new way of doing things yet and we're just starting to think about what it means to be liminal figures to be creating the resources and the routines and the traditions that will help the next generation so when I came from UCLA to teach uh, first in an inner city school in Los Angeles which was the fourth largest school in the country and now uh, to fall in love with a community like Santa Maria which is about halfway through Los Angeles and San Francisco here on the central coast um, you walk into an environment where parents are taking phones and tablets and laptops away as punishment and that's not bad intended they think they're doing the right thing um, we had an incident here on campus just before Thanksgiving weekend this past November 
where social media rumor had it that there was a gun on campus. And it was only because my students had the presence of mind to reassure a reporter that no, there wasn't that kind of a threat, and no, there wasn't really a campus of bad apples, that these are stories media tell, uh, that we were able to start a conversation. Because interestingly, the reporter didn't account for the fact that when she deleted their tweets in reply, they were taking screenshots and feeding them to me so that we could have a different sort of conversation. And when we came back, that became part of our curriculum. Um, I don't think people realize how much stress today's high school students are really under. Um, the environment that I try to create in my classroom has a lot to do with trust. And I don't mean me trusting the students. I mean the students trusting in themselves and trusting in me. Uh, there are always those people who think of this as a shortcut and as a way to, to do less work because they're not under the gun of an external reward or carrot uh, or punishment. But at the same time, there's no back row to slink down into on the Internet. And everything we do tells a story, and we do own our own words. So as students think about what they want to adopt from this experience and how they want to memorialize that in their media explorations online, they create an individual portfolio of what they do and what they don't do, what they understand and what they don't understand. Now in the process, uh, one of the opportunities is to create a mentorship agreement where students can go out and find experts in their fields. I had a student last year who wanted to fly and I'm not that guy. I'm not a pilot. But we introduced him to somebody who is and he learned to fly and took me up in a plane over my own house. Right now we have students working on masterpieces that range from uh, a cookbook for lupus sufferers to uh, research on serial killers to psycho, uh, psychedelic uh, mind expansion to you name it. If you can imagine it, we've got students who are studying it. And one of my favorite elements of this year is meeting Laura Ritchie and her students at the University of Chichester, uh, first for a ukulele lesson that we had with an American literature class online, uh, and now to actually help students find their way to Yosemite Valley on Memorial Day weekend for what promises to be uh, an improvisational learning experience with the director of Second City Comedy, Laura, her students, and a cast of thousands who don't yet know they're going to be a part of a lesson. Uh, the reason that we use open source for this process is because uh, it's not so much about software or having a catchphrase for marketing. It's really because anytime someone joins a conversation, the conversation changes. Just now, people walked into my room who aren't normally here. And my students are probably looking around and wondering, all right, what do we say now? Uh, how does this influence the content of what we talk about? How does this influence the process and the rules through which we communicate? How does this influence our outcomes? When students came into my class in the fall, they were probably confused in the beginning because there was no set curriculum except that which we agreed to. And in that moment, when we decide to include other people, when we decide to include other voices, when we make decisions together, we wind up with something that looks a whole lot more like the commons and a whole lot less like an authoritarian uh, hierarchy. And I know in your book, NetSmart, you talk about Robert Putnam's research on Italy and the North and the South. Um, we want to create the world of the North with the rich culture of the Florentines. Uh, we don't want the hierarchical control that leads people in school to say, use your own words, eyes on your own paper, do your own work, and then wander out into the workplace and civic life and be asked, why can't you be a better citizen or a better team player? So, as is my habit, uh, I answer a very simple question with a mouthful, and what I'd like to do is open this up to the chat and to your questions to see how we might explore what doing this on the ground really looks like. 
Um, how about hearing from the students about their 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 projects and what it what it's like to experience normal high school and then to experience this kind of class? Feel free. We've got a room full of people. I'm not sure how many you can see. Oh, maybe we should get Laura and her students to introduce themselves as well, and then we'll get get back to your students. Yeah, yeah I see Pete. Go ahead. Hey, um, I'm Pete. I'm Laura's student. I play guitar and at the University of Chichester, and I'm really excited about coming to UCA and Yosemite and everything. So that should be cool. Hello, I'm Izzy. <laughs> <laughs> I play the cello. <laughs> Pete and Izzy are both studying, uh, they're studying music as their undergraduate degree and they're studying instrumental vocal teaching. So uh, Pete, for example, has been uh, teaching some of David's students. He did a, he did a, a session on rap and, uh, and lyrics and songwriting. That was quite fun. And the, Pete and Izzy are part of uh, one of my classes that joined up with David's and we've been Skyping back and forth. And one of David's students, Nathan, um, helped inspire us about how to play ukulele. That's quite fun. That was cool. All right, great. Um, and Pete, you'd be happy to know that I included Eminem in a journal topic for today that included oh, really? uh, Brave New World and Macbeth. So I'll ask you to ring in on that later. Awesome. awesome. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right, so back, David, what about uh, having uh, your students uh, introduce themselves? Uh, the, the, the ones who are doing the subjects, the topics that you uh, mentioned uh, or anybody who wants to talk about what they're doing. Okay. Uh, I see in your field of vision we've got Matthew center stage here. Matthew, why don't you talk a little bit about what got your attention and what you're doing. Um, right now I'm working on two things. The first thing I'm working on right now is uh, synesthesia research, which um, is from my own personal experience because I have 30 plus forms of it and so it's a rare opportunity for somebody that is aware of their own um, neurological state in this manner to actually explore it in such a way and synesthesia if you don't know is the combination of the senses and how it interacts with uh, sensory experience and perception. Um, and then my other project that I'm doing is with our school's GSA which is uh, Pride Threads. I'm, I'm the co-president um, with Lauren, and we're creating a clothing line for, or not clothing line, but like a, uh, I don't know how to say it, um, awareness through for the LGBT plus community through clothing. And this is part of part of your your work for uh, Dr. Preston's class. Uh, yeah, I'm interweaving it all into the class. And, and well, okay, we'll get back. I, I have some more questions for you, but let's ask, hear from the others. Hi, uh, my name is Alec, and my masterpiece is on. Uh, it's a little controversial. Researching psychedelics and mind expansion, but uh, a lot of the fear comes from propaganda and uh, blowing up of stories throughout the years. And I'm looking to reduce stigma and actually, uh, I don't know, help towards getting these used as uh, medical tools and uh, mind expansion tools. You know, I I chose that subject for my speech in my speech class in high school in 1963, which is probably before your parents were born. <laughs> uh, so I, I I'm glad to hear that uh, that that subject is coming up again. Tim. 
Um, hi, my name is Naomi. Um, I'm doing a, a project on music and writing. I'm actually a very big fan of writing poetry. So um, I want to explore more in that field. So I'm planning to write a song. And uh, I'm actually collaborating with Laura and Pete. I have emailed them about Skyping with them and uh, creating music. And then I want to know how visual and auditory effects can um, enhance the, the importance of music and how it can affect people's lives. Well, who are a couple of your favorite poets? Um, I... I recently, we actually worked on poetry and I uh, read Women Work and The Woman's World, so I, I loved the authors of those poems. Do you know Mary Oliver? Uh-uh. Right, go look for Mary Oliver. She's a great poet. I will. I will do that. Thank All right. You. Who's next? We have a couple people walking up, Howard, and while they approach, um, you've mentioned something really important. We generally in school don't have much of an intergenerational collaboration. And when you talked about doing research uh, before some of our students' parents were born, it's so important to have a direct connection to the mentors who have the experience and the knowledge that we seek. And so one of the things I encourage students to do is to find people with uh, that experience and with that real world experience who were there when some of the things we read about uh, were invented or uh, first thought about. And we just have two other people. That's Sorry. a huge opportunity, and, uh, and and I just think that there's so, so much more to be done, especially since we have this technology. We can connect classrooms with with people who really know what the students are 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 studying. So, um, great idea. Who do we have here? Hi, my name is Taylor, and I'm doing my project on the psychology of American serial killers. Is it psychology <laughs> of American what? American serial killers. And you are. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll and we'll, we'll we'll get back and talk some more about. Annie. Uh, I'm Annie, and I'm doing my project on the Okay, you're a little far from the microphone, so you're gonna have to speak up a little bit. Howard, on on your right is Annie, and she's doing a project on lupus. Uh, okay. Quite a range of projects here. Well, and these are as individual as the people who create them. So uh, everyone, the requirement initially was that people had a personal passion for what they're doing. Speaking right. of which, you can't get much more out of personal passion than Noah Hernandez. All right. Hey, Noah. Uh, hey there. Uh, so my project was, uh, why don't I have a voice? Uh, it started off about... I was having a bad experience with a teacher on campus uh, about the choice of curriculum that we were doing. And so it was all about, because of like my age and nobody really wants to listen, um, how does somebody get a voice in the community when it's just seen as you're just a kid, even though we're faced with making adult situations and choices? Boy, that's a big issue. Um, <laughs> why don't we start with that? Why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us about how your how your project came about, how it fits into the to uh, Dr. Preston's class? Um, well, it first started with um, I was in a class where it's a requirement that I have to take it uh, to graduate high school and to get into college. And me being me, I procrastinated until my senior year of taking it. 
Um, and so it was like it was an offset because um, I was in class with freshmen and you know younger classmen, and I just kept getting into. I, I was very resistant with my teacher just because um, in other in all my other classes I was doing a lot of things of value that I thought was, and in most of my classes it's not about the grade, and instead we were just doing rudimentary things that had no value. And I just, it hit me one day that, like, I don't have a choice and I don't have, like, a voice and I can't, like, say my opinions or anything without it being, like, oh, you're just an outspoken kid who doesn't know what he's talking about because you're just a kid. Um, and so I went and I went to Dr. Preston about it because I didn't know what to do because I was frustrated and angry and just the stress of college and everything, and um, so you got me into touch with a couple people, and I've um, I've talked to a lot of people about how somebody can make a difference, and somebody, especially kids our age, Great. I, I would love for students like you to have a, a more of a voice in the, the community. Um, so who knows where this is going to go. Maybe it'll be a big thing. So um, I'm sorry, you're the next person in, in the middle, I forgot your name. Matthew. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about about your project, how it started, and and how is it proceeding in uh, Dr. Preston's class? Oh, okay. Um, and, and you're a little ways from the microphone, so do speak up. Okay. Um, my project for synesthesia started in about 2011 or 2012 because um, I became self-aware that I had that, and it was kind of like a sensory thing where. Everybody is like, oh, the sky's blue. And I was like, oh, yeah, the sky's blue also, but it kind of feels like it's orange today. And then everybody's like, wow, that's so poetic. And I'm like, no, it actually feels orange today. And then it was kind of like a disconnect between what I was actually meaning to say because I was actually experiencing those sensations and what people thought I was trying to say to, like, embellish my speech. And so uh, that started then, and then I started documenting it um, in journals and tracking the genetic roots of it throughout my family and then eventually I got into this class and had a time where I could actually make it like a project in the class so then I was like okay cool I already have enough research on it I could just do it in here and so then I started um, putting it in a way that other people would be able to understand because since it's sensory perception it's kind of hard for people to understand like some of my close friends know exactly what I'm saying but then when I first meet somebody and I try to describe something using two senses that are mixed together it's kind of really just they have no idea what I'm saying and then think I'm kind of high. And so uh, with the uh, um, Pride Threads is what we're calling uh, the GSA collaboration, uh, we had an opportunity in the middle of the year to apply for a grant through the Youth Making Change organization over here. And we were like, well, we have to have an idea and it has to be sustainable and change the community. So we came up with, uh, our, our GSA came up with that and 
then we got the grant and we got $1,400. And right now we're in the process of processing the money through the school because we can't just use the check for some reason. And so we have to go through all these checks and balances of the school, and we're in the middle of that right now. We're about to buy all the supplies to be able to make the clothing and the T-shirts and stuff for our project. Well, the project sounds fascinating. Um, what would you say to a, a parent or a teacher or a, a school principal somewhere who asks, so what, is, what does that have to do with what you're supposed to be learning in high school? What, how would you say what you're learning? Well, for... I could connect my synesthesia to English because it is actually a term that is used within literary works and stuff, and it helps me to combine uh, the colors that I feel from the author's attitude into um, actual words that I can use on like AP exams or stuff, or connect it back in different ways. And for the pride, the pride thread things, I think I could say that it betters the experience um, for students. Um, within the community and their, how they feel at school and their safety, which also contributes to better learning habits and experience of life at high school. I would also add experience in civic participation. Yeah. <laughs> really important. Um, Howard, okay. Howard, sorry to interrupt. When you, when you think about the topics that Matthew just mentioned as being necessary to his project, everything from history, socioeconomic status, math, you can roll in every single academic subject and add on innovation, entrepreneurship, uh, social civil rights. Um, you know, I have to bite my tongue in these moments because I think my students are being too nice. When, when I hear people ask, well, how does this uh, go with the traditional academic subjects, I think to myself, we've had 400 years for that. How's it working out? I really, th I really think that if we start with a passionate question and we think about interdisciplinary inquiry, all of our academic subjects are necessary to do the things we need to do as adults. And if we look at it through that lens, suddenly a word problem in physics takes on a whole different meaning if I'm trying to figure out the camber of a road in my skateboard. Um, and I use that as a, as a simple example because I'm you know, trying to imagine from a 45-year-old perspective what appeals to a high school perspective. But inevitably, you don't hear anything about skateboards in this environment. You hear about psychology and business and you know, pretty deep topics that year after year kind of blow my mind because I don't see them coming and they are as diverse as the people who imagine them. Well that also answers uh, I think another question that's probably in minds of educators and, and parents and students who are watching this which is so if you let your, your students choose what they're going to work on what's the role of the teacher and obviously you are there to facilitate their understanding of all the things they need to know in order to do their, their passion projects so that the teacher certainly doesn't go away it's just that you don't have a, a rigid plan that you, you make last year and you come into the classroom today and and execute that plan you have to be responsive to what it is the students are, are, are after and plug them into the things they need to learn you know in organizations we talk about supportive leadership and I think that in schools too often teachers good people, all of them, go through credentialing processes and training processes and evaluation processes that lead them to feel that if they're not in front of the classroom doing something with two and four students that they are doing less than what they're supposed to be doing. And the reality is we need to be supportive and encourage students and create the environmental conditions in which they can flourish. 
But there's a big, big difference between high standards of excellence in the quality of the work and in the integrity of our identities versus standardization and trying to make an environment where everyone looks the same coming out. All right. Thank you, David. Uh, why don't we uh, jump uh, over to uh, the other side of the Atlantic for a minute and uh, hear from, from uh, one of Laura's students. Yeah? Uh, you need to unmute your microphone. Thank you. Unmute. There we go. <laughs> I've been commenting along the side while watching. All right. Well, he was, so. We're saying um, things about uh, teachers and the role of the teacher. Um, uh, yeah. I, I think uh, the best teachers that I've ever had are the ones that kind of uh, negate themselves in the end because. You, the idea is to is not to teach some teach someone how to do something. It's teach someone how to teach themselves to do something. In my mind, at least, anyway, because it, I don't know if, if you were to teach someone something, then they just get bored and like wander off. But if you inspire them to go and learn things themselves, then that's a much more kind of healthy learning environment. In my mind, at least, anyway, that's kind of the the best thing that I can think of. <laughs> Sorry. Um, do speak up a little bit um, so that we can hear you more distinctly or a little closer to the phone. So how do you go about doing how, how do you go about doing that? Um, well it's, it's, it's kind of to me it's getting across the like your your sort of passion so like the way that David talks about teaching to me is kind of the way that I would like like to be taught or agree with how we should go on with teaching, because like to me school was just to create like people that fit into tiny little boxes that pass exams and then half the time you just forget most of the stuff anyway when you leave school. So there's no there's no point to learning it because you've just forgotten it. Whereas if you inspire somebody about a certain subject by your enthusiasm towards it or by the information that you're giving them then they'll be much more entire, like I don't know like keen in themselves to kind of go home and research it and then the chances are because you've made them inspired by it and and they they're interested in it they're gonna get better grades anyway so that's just a kind of byproduct of good teaching in my mind at least anyway I don't know and and um, Laura you you're doing this with with music, correct? I know that you are yeah. a, a cello teacher and a cellist. Um, so, how is it that what is it exactly that your students are doing with uh, Dr. Preston's class? Well, uh, they're writing the curriculum, really. So I haven't told them what to do. So uh, when we go over there, we we have some semi-structured things that we're going to do. We have our own personal challenges that we're undertaking. So each person, um, both Izzy and Pete and I, and the, other, um, the others who aren't, weren't able to come this evening, who are going, all, we all have our own personal challenges that we're doing because we're all learners too. And for us, that's one of the important things that it isn't, I'm a teacher and you're the student. It's we're all learning and we all learn together. And so we're all in it together. But each person, for me, the challenge is to help each person find their own path of what they, what they want to learn. And then as many, uh, as much information, talent, intelligence, whatever you want to call it, whatever I have that I can give them, it's my job to help them along their way as best 
they as best I can only when they need it though I don't want to um, drag anybody along because any anybody can do that and make somebody achieve something but then when you take off that that um, that leash then then they're still lost so All I'm right, not sure let's... yet we'll find out when we get there <laughs> let's jump back to California and then we'll jump back to you uh, again um, Laura so thanks um, in California, I've got a question for any any one of the students who want, wants to 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 take this, um, which is uh, someone asked on Twitter: Are all classes at Rigetti High uh, like this one? And if not, how does this course experience uh, impact your experience in other classes? So, if somebody want to take that? You you need to unmute on your 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 side there. Go ahead, Kurt. <laughs> um, so all, all throughout my, I've been to three different high schools, and and they've generally the way they teach is has been uh, pretty similar. Um, and when I stepped into this classroom, it was kind of like getting hit in the face with a brick. But <laughs> um, I, I'm uh, my masterpiece is I'm, I'm in the process of starting a business. Um, I got accepted to Cal Poly, and I was up at their open house recently for the Orfala College of Business, which is a, a really accredited uh, business college. And their, their like, number one motto was learn by doing. And um, before I had taken this class, if they would have told me that, I would have, like, you know, like, what the, what the heck are you talking about, you know? Uh, I wouldn't have been prepared for that. But um, in this class, I've been, this is the only class where I've been, you know, I'll bring my laptop in. I'll, I'll be able to make connections with people that can help me hands-on instead of just opening a book and, and reading out of the book and, um, you know, just memorizing stuff that I'm going to forget in a week anyways when I can have, like, live connections with actual people who have been there and done what I'm trying to do. Um, so I, I'd say even uh, th this class has probably been one of the most um, important classes of this year. I, I actually was taking another class, but I um, switched into Dr. Preston's. I have him twice a day now um, just because I, I love being in here so much. So um, this, is, this has probably been the most important class I've taken all year. Howard, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to absent myself and turn this completely over to the students. But one thing I want to point out before I go is that it would be absurd for a professional sports team or even a college sports team to recruit an athlete based on a key statistic or two and a letter of recommendation. And in a world where we do have the opportunity and the potential for total transparency, it used to be that these classrooms were completely closed off from the outside world. Uh, we would keep uh, learners, you know, in safe pens until they were, uh, you know, safe for uh, financial aid or military recruitment or at least wouldn't break stuff when they went down the neighborhood. And now we live in a world where we can tell our own stories. So instead of a GPA and uh, a couple of key statistics, each one of our students, to whatever extent he or she takes the opportunity, leaves with the beginnings of an individualized working portfolio uh, that not only tracks what they've done uh, as far as outcomes, but the learning journey, uh, the process they've engaged with along the way. A lot of our students decide to begin with one question and then that plays out. At some point they find themselves interested in something else. Well that learning path tells a story and in private sector companies we see more and more uh, we're not hiring on resumes, we're hiring on visible representations, tangible representations of what people can do. And what really excites me about this 
is that the questions that we ask, uh, the humor that we show, the interpersonal dynamics that we practice, all of this is now visible in ways that, uh, you know, I love the language of the Common Core, for example. Uh, you know, but at the end, if we settle for another test, we're leaving ourselves far short of what really looks like three-dimensional, walking, talking, breathing, wonderful human beings. And those are the people that I get to spend every day with. So, you know, we talk about open source, and Alex making sarcastic gestures behind the camera, but we talk about open source, uh, learning is a lot messier than we'd like to make it in school. Uh, we started with these industrialized models. That case has been well made by many speakers and, and authors. Um, but the real learning happens when I walk away from this conversation and think, ah, that's what I should have told Howard. Or, geez, I didn't listen when Matthew said that about his project. I can come back to that later. When we have those moments, we're learning. And so it's not unlike my students to three, four years after the course to come back and mentor other students or ask the questions or find themselves wanting a community that validates these kinds of practices. And like I said earlier, what I'm most excited about is that my sneaking suspicion is that there are emerging quiet pockets of these kinds of people all over the place. And by giving this uh, some sort of a name, a research framework, uh, and some validation, we can take this from uh, the edge to the middle. And uh, I'm really excited about the future. So I'm going to turn this completely over to Alex, Alec and the other discussants. And thanks very much once again, Howard. Okay, great. Who have we not heard from yet? How about um, and you're going to have to move the move the camera so that we can. Okay, this young this young woman that we're in the center of the the screen with the yes with the hoodie on. Um, what's your name again? Taylor. Kaylin. Taylor. Can you move 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 the uh, the computer a little bit closer to you so, or move yourself a little bit closer to the computer. Okay, good. It'll make it easier for people to hear you. So tell us about your experience, your project, and your experience of the class. Um, I'm doing my project on the psychology of American serial killers. And uh, I guess... Louder. Speak louder. <laughs> just speak louder so they can make sure they can hear you. I'm kind of just like trying to figure out like why people do the things that they do. Like... Is it inherent or is it based on experience? You know, there's a big difference between like sociopaths and psychopaths, and then you have all these different people like angels of death. You know, kill people to try and save them, like in some way. And then like some people, you know, cut out the tongues of their victims because they feel silenced. It's just a really interesting topic, I think. Kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. There is seem, does seem to be a fascination with the with the subject. Um, I don't know whether that's particularly American or whether it's <laughs> human. Or, or, I mean, that's another question: is is this a, an American fascination, or is it a, you know, is everybody in the world uh, interested in that? It's certainly something that happens everywhere. So, yeah. um, asking why why it is people do the things they do. I think you you've already learned leads it leads you to a, a lot. Yeah. How do you go about doing your research? Um, I read a lot of books. Um, 
I recently watched an interview that someone had with Ted Bundy right before he died, which was really interesting. It was about how he said that because he grew up in a suburban Christian home, his like major focal point that led him to become a serial killer was based on like pornography and like how that escalated from like, you know, Playboy to child pornography. And it was kind of gross. <laughs> yeah. So, so what um what would a a teacher or principal or parent what would you tell them about what other things you're learning? Um other than this kind of, in a sense, pop culture topic en route to your project? Kind of like society and economy and like where these people come from and like the different like, you know, socioeconomic situations that they come from. Like, did, was their mom a stripper? Was there, like, were the, did they grow up in a suburban Christian home? And like how different experiences can shape your life, things like that. So uh, here, here's a question that has uh, occurred to me. Um, when there are wars, people like that have opportunities to go and kill people and not get in trouble for it, and, and quite often they're celebrated for that. So I don't know, I don't know what the question is there, but it's, you know, I think it's, it's worth thinking about. So. Yeah. Um, Good luck. Good luck with <laughs> your project. It's a, it's a, certainly an unusual one, and and you probably have a conversation with everybody. Uh, you you tell them what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who have we not heard from yet? You want to go, Annie? Annie. Okay. <laughs> I'm Annie. <laughs> Amy. Annie. Annie. And, and Annie, what's your project? It's on lupus. It's uh -huh. about the dietary restrictions because the disease is that your immune cells, instead of attacking like germs and disease and stuff, they attack each other. They attack each other and it starts destroying the tissues of your body and organs. And a lot of that happens in the stomach for patients. So there's dietary restrictions. I just got over my flare-up, but it was a year long. And during that year, I couldn't have any, like, refined sugars, any gluten, any dairy, red meat, any processed foods, um, or any soy. Jim, what does that leave? A lot of fruit and vegetables <laughs> with nothing on it. Well, you're fortunate to live in, in California where there's a lot of fresh fruit and, yeah, and vegetables available. <laughs> so yeah. um, I don't really know a lot about this, but I do, um, I do recall that there's, there's being a lot of, of progress being made into research into what to do about lupus. What, uh, what's your assessment of, the, of um, where things are going to go in, in your lifetime? Well, I have a rheumatologist and a regular doctor and an endocrinologist. So there's treatments for it, but they haven't figured out what causes it or how to completely get rid of it. 
but some treatments can be blood transfusions and a lot of surgery. And I take a lot of medication. I was on 12 pills every day, but now I'm back to four. So, so you're, you're the kind of patient that doctors are beginning to see that they're, they're really usually not accustomed to, which is the really well-informed patient who looks at what's happening. Do you participate in online support groups, for example, of people who talk about their, their uh, disease and research and treatments? Um, I don't. My cousin has the same thing as me, though. So, And our principal at Rigetti does, too. So I'm supposed to be in contact with her. <laughs> I'm supposed to. <laughs> All right. But, well, yeah. um, Good luck with that. I'm, you know, I, I think with all of the understanding of how the human genome works, uh, multiplying, that we may begin to see some understanding of autoimmune diseases. Um, so you're fortunate to be young at a time when there's a lot of scientific knowledge being amassed. Um, I, I, I'll ask you the same question. Um, how does your experience in this class affect your experience with the other other classes? Um, I really enjoy being in this class over any of my other ones because I have a lot of freedom to learn about what I really care about instead of math and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Like, there's not so much structure where you get really interested in what you're learning about and I feel like that just gives you the motivation to learn Okay, more. I've got, before we, we jump back to uh, Laura Ritchie's students for a minute, I've got a question for any one of you who want to uh, approach it. Um, how do you share your findings with others and, and how do you co-learn? How, how, how does you participate in learning together around these projects that are very individual? We have blogs that uh, each person in the class has a blog that we make, and we post uh, anything from class assignments to progress on our masterpieces. And some of our masterpieces don't really have like a digital aspect to them, so a lot of it can be just talking during the class and uh, speaking to other students. And we're also, some of us have been establishing websites for our masterpieces or um, groups to try and reach out to people that are interested in the same thing. So do you know what the, uh, the origin of masterpiece, of the word masterpiece is? I don't. So um, in the um, medieval times when there were guilds, like the, the gold workers guild or the leather workers guild, they really regulated who would be allowed to, to, to practice this trade. You had to be certified by the guild in order to, to practice that trade in, in your town. And <coughs> You started out as an apprentice, and you ended up as a master. And in order to become a master, you had to create a masterpiece. Okay. <laughs> so um, I think uh, there, I, I can see that there are some students here in, the, in uh, Dr. Preston's class that we haven't heard from yet. Let's jump back to Chichester and hear from uh, other students. Um, in the UK, and then we'll come right back and, and make sure that we hear from everybody here. So, 
Laura, you have another student there who has something to say? Don't forget to unmute. There we go. Yeah, Izzy's here. Yes. We can see. Hello. Hi. <laughs> speak, speak up. What's your name? Um, I'm Izzy. And and what Hi. is your? Tell us about your learning and and how you go I about it. I just wanted to say that how um, wonderful I think the masterpieces are because um, they like draw on your passion and I think that's the most important thing like to yeah to um, uh, draw on your passion <laughs> and mine is the cello and um, yeah I've been teaching someone and that coming to um, Laura's uh, cello weekend. Even though he, yeah, he's only been learning. He hasn't been learning very long, but um, he's coming along. I'm running a workshop. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, cool. Can you cool tilt, the, can you tilt the camera a little bit so we can see your face a little bit better? Tilt, tilt the laptop <laughs> back a little bit. There, there you go. Well, you're obviously enjoying what you're doing. Um, yes. Are are you a part of the group who's going to come over to California? Yes, yes, yes I am. Yes. So how how would you define co-learning? Co-learning, like with each other, um, uh, inspiring each other, and um, yeah, collaborating and um, yeah. <laughs> so do you do? compose pieces together? Do you, one person plays something then the other play, person responds? How do you, uh, how do you to do that together? Um, we do um, workshops with like, um, uh, we do oral workshops uh, like singing, like uh, copying and like um, call and response and stuff like that and um, because we do uh, some folk, we do lots of folk workshops, and um, yeah, we get people to. <laughs> so call and response is that like somebody plays a little passage on the cello, and then somebody plays another uh, passage on their cello? Yeah, or uh, uh, singing. Like uh, we'll sing a simple melody, and um, we'll get them to sing back. That way, because I'm having one instrument. Mm. Can you say that? All right. With with the call, with the call response, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter um, what instrument or what you do. Yeah, you can. Um, so not just cello. And not just cello. Yeah, it can be anything. <laughs> All right, great. Well, we'll we'll come back to you. Let's go back to California for a second. Um, who have we not heard from? Who's got a, a project yes. that they want to talk about? Right here, right here. <laughs> right. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. My name is Sean Robaldo. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. I wouldn't say I have a masterpiece in mind. I'd call it more of a mission. Uh, Dr. Preston asked me what I wanted my masterpiece to be, and honestly, I just told him that I wanted to help change the world for the better. I think this mission that I, that I want to do, I just want to unite the planet under one one, one, one true nation, just help declare world peace for all. And I'm, honestly, I think that's something that I'm really devoted to do. It's something that I wouldn't mind spending my whole life trying to accomplish. <clears throat> it's going to be full of obstacles, 
hardships, but that's that's what makes it interesting to me. That, that that's what makes that's, that's what drives me to keep doing it. We certainly need your generation to do that because I'm I'm sorry, but previous generations have handed you a very difficult world to deal with, and I'm, yes, sir, they I'm have. glad to see a smiling person taking on the challenge. You know, greater great things have been done. Human slavery was abolished, and it took a lot to do that. But um, don't let anybody tell you that having a, a an ambitious ideal is not a good idea. Um, you're gonna you're gonna learn something, whatever happens. So go for it. I, I have a question for for you, uh, students. Uh, anyone who wants to to answer, which is, how do you think that um, your experience with open source learning affects a, a, a day in your, your life. The, the class is only 50 minutes long. How does open source learning affect a, a day in your life outside of the, the time you have in class? It can put a lot of ideas in our heads that we normally wouldn't be thinking about. Like when we talk to other students that are interested in uh, topics that we aren't, it might get us interested in that topic and it leads us down a path towards more knowledge and research and it's, it's, it really helps to uh, expand our knowledge just on all things because not every one person can be interested in everything. You need to collaborate and have everyone bring their ideas together so you can, uh, I guess, learn more. So that's a, uh, as good a definition uh, as, as any of what I've been calling co-learning, which is uh, Kind of a change. Uh, I think up until very recently, mostly classrooms are about individual students kind of collecting their knowledge in in isolation. But more and more, and I think particularly with the kind of media that we're using now, we're learning together. We we teach each other as well as learn from the from the teacher. Is there another student in? Um, this classroom who we haven't heard from yet who would like to talk about your project? Where does it go? Um, yeah. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Yes, okay. we can. Some just came unplugged. Um, uh, like I said, I have this, I switched into this class twice a day. I had originally had two English classes, but this this class is kind of like an escape. Um, there's, there's no, um, I'm not, I don't have like information being crammed down my throat and I can just kind of like you know, open up, like, I can talk to people about, you know, whatever, and we, like, we start out, for instance, with a journal topic, and it's never just um, English, it's never just literature, it's like, it's deeper than that, and it it goes below just, like, um, just, you know, textbooks and, and stuff like that. It gets us thinking about English, but uh, um, it connects it to everything we do, and um, it, it's a lot deeper than, than anything... I've experienced in any other classes, um, so it's it it's um it's a good place. It it blurs the line between uh, learning and teaching. And in other classes, I'm I feel like I'm just being taught, and they're they're just like trying to cram this stuff into my head and make me memorize it and stuff like that. But if if I'm not receiving it, it really doesn't do much good. But when it connects to um to something that I'm passionate about. Then I'm I'm much more willing to learn about it, and and I um, I, I remember and I, I learn a lot better um, in that environment. Great, 
explanation. Thank you so much. Um, let's go back to Professor Ritchie. Um, how, is, um, how is it that you are collaborating with, with this classroom? What is it exactly that you're doing? And your students, your students and, and, and uh, Dr. Preston's students. Well, in specific, we're, uh, we've been collaborating on and off through email, through electronic means Skype, and then in a month, in actually less than a month, we're going to make it real, and five of the students from here and myself, we're going over to California. We're going to be visiting the students, working with the students, workshopping some of the things Izzy was talking about, um, and Pete, workshopping writing some music with them, collaboratively recording things. We'll be performing for them. The, the final uh, big hoopla, which isn't a very fancy word, but of the whole thing is uh, we're going to have an impromptu orchestra. So we will have instruments for everybody, and everybody's going to learn to play something together. So some things will be with traditional instruments, other things as as David said at the beginning, we have um, Ed Greenberg from Laughter for Change, who's a professional improviser, coming, and we'll be using things from from nature. We also have an art teacher. We have uh, a dean from UCLA and a professor of architecture from Cal Poly coming. There's some kids. There's some parents. So what we're looking forward to more than anything is the the co-learning in the true sense that it's going to be across generations, across cultures, across disciplines, um, really across everything. We're even hoping to bring in the campers on the last day, but we'll see how that goes. So earlier when I said I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, um, I do mean that because people write the script for us. And if it goes a different way, then, then we'll go with it. How, so how many students are coming with you? Five students from England are going out with me, and, uh, and we've raised all the money for ourselves to go. So that's I was going to ask that. How do you how do you afford to bring five students over? Well, we we can't. Uh, we really can't afford. So I started by I, I just went a bit bonkers and I bought their airplane tickets on my personal credit card, and um, and then it became you know they I said actually you can do this and they said yeah we can do this, and so it was it only took it took three weeks and they raised all the money to pay me back and that was almost five thousand dollars for their flights. Um, so but to date with the six of us. We've raised over ten thousand um, dollars together. Yeah, we have. Oh, wow. so, <laughs> um, That's amazing. It is amazing. So it's it's all going towards uh, expenses. We've got luggage fees. We've got accommodation once we're there at Yosemite. Um, we're funding one of David's students, Omar. Uh, so he's got the the England the Chichester scholarship. So we thought actually if we can raise money for us, we can do it for some people over there. Um, we paid a deposit for one of the for the improviser. We're, so we're we're trying we're spreading it around, um, and we have a Kickstarter to fund the documentary because we want to uh, we want to make something that shows it wider what we're doing because it's um, you know like David said classrooms used to be in four walls and actually now they're not and the way we connect it's um, something we want to bring more people on board with. Fantastic! This has been so inspiring. Um, for those who have been watching this or just tuned in and you, you are inspired as well, um, you can tell your friends about this. Um, pretty soon the uh, recording will be available at connectedlearning.tv and we're going to have, have uh, one more session this month which um, I invite you to, to tune into 9 a.m. Pacific time 
on April 30th, I am going to talk with eight of my uh, best students from the uh, years that I taught at Berkeley and Stanford. And we're going to have a hangout and do kind of a, a look back at the co-learning that, that we've done. So uh, I wish I went to high school back when things were going on. Uh, I mean, I wish I went to high school now when the kind of thing you're doing is, is going on. So. Um, thank you, Laura. Thank you, David. Thank you, students. Um, take care um, and uh, tune in uh, next week on the 30th for, for more of the same. Bye. Bye. Bye.